Sometimes going slow is the key to growing fast. Entrepreneurs are the most resilient people that I've ever met in my life. They're the folks that you put in front of a wall and they just find a way to walk right through it. This is a show for startups hosted by experienced VCs that cuts to the chase to give you concise, relevant, and actionable advice to achieve sustainable growth. This is Go Slow to Grow Fast, a Mercury podcast. Welcome back to Go Slow to Grow Fast, a Mercury podcast. Back with me is my guest and partner, Aziz Gilani. Aziz, in part one, we talked a lot about the current economic environment, why it's tough for founders, and what's really going on in that environment, some things founders should think about. In this sort of part two, I want to dive into pricing, fundability, how should founders really be honest and thinking about their business to survive in this current environment. So let's start with how much funding is different almost picking up where we left off. Funding is a lot tighter today than it was in 2021, which means that if those founders aren't thinking about their burn, extending their runway, they might find themselves in the group of companies that are dying right now and going out of business. What do you say to companies about what they should do in the current environment if they are trying to raise capital, trying to extend their runway? The first thing I just want entrepreneurs to understand is this is a really tough environment. We've had six quarters in a row now of decreasing venture funding of startups. The NVCA puts out monitor like with a metric in terms of how much capital is available out there right now. And they're at the tightest capital market that they have measured since 2010. So this is a really tough environment. This is one of those where it's like, it's super unfortunate if you're searching for cash right now and need something urgently. I just want to lay out there that it's just really tough out there right now. It is. It is. With that said, the name of the game now is give the market what it wants because the market is being extremely selective about the types of companies that folks are looking for. The market is being super selective right now about the types of companies it's willing to fund. And that means showing high LTV to CAC ratios, showing high gross margins, showing high sales efficiency. That's what the market is demanding right now. And that's what we have to find a way to provide. Do you think that in some cases, when someone does get a meeting and there is a level of interest, is it pricing where a lot of VCs are still putting term sheets out there and entrepreneurs are turning them down thinking they can get a better price or thinking they deserve a better price? Or do you think it's more that the companies are not delivering these metrics and the VCs are just passing? Not because the company doesn't have a good idea or may not be fundable at some point, but just that the metrics aren't there. So I would say that, number one, let's just remember, there's a lot less cash in the system right now. And so there's just a lot less cash to hand out. If you look at the number of venture capital funds that have gotten closed, 2022 was way below 2021, and 2023 is showing to be almost half of 2022. It's just a tough world with a lot less cash in it. I just want to underline that Mm -hmm. point. With that point underlined, I think it's super important for entrepreneurs 
to show venture capitalists that they're very realistic and pragmatic with their expectations. And that's because for a VC to even put together a term sheet, that's a few weeks worth of work for them from a Mm -hmm. diligence and from a market proving point of view. And the VC themselves, they have to expend some political capital within their partnership to get folks to agree to an investment. And so they have to believe that a deal exists. And so a pragmatic CEO on the other side of the table makes that a lot easier to do because no one wants to put together a term sheet that won't get accepted. And then last, I think you're very appropriately pointing out that the startup has to have the right characteristics to the for the VC to want to invest. They have to show that they have that efficient go-to-market motion that VCs are looking for right now so that the VC knows that this can be a cash-efficient business, which is Mm -hmm. what the market is looking for. So we're sitting here, we don't have a whiteboard, but if we did, right, and you would- (laughs) I'm dangerous with the whiteboard. (laughs) I I, I know you are. And you would categorize founders into three categories, driving, businesses doing great, surviving is chugging along and dying. Yeah. What would the profile look like in today's market of those three categories? Because I think sometimes founders think they're in one category and the VC looks at it and in their mind, they're, they're in a different category. That's right. So the easiest one are the businesses that are thriving. Thriving businesses have great growth rates attached to them. Is that still 100%? 100% growth rates still sound pretty great to me. Yeah. As you know, I'm currently an investor in a company that's at like 180% growth yeah. rate. Phenomenal. Don't know what to do with that. But yes. look, companies that are hitting product market fit, it's obvious they're hitting product market fit. Right. If you have to ask yourself, am I hitting product market fit, then maybe you're not hitting product market fit. But thriving companies, extremely obvious, high growth rate, in some cases even generating cash. But these are companies where... They're going to the VCs to throw more gasoline on the fire. That should be super obvious. Everyone should wildly agree on what they're dealing with. The next uh, categorization is the unfortunate one. Those are the businesses that are dying. Those are the businesses that aren't growing. Those are the businesses that don't really have the technology business profiles when it comes to their gross margins. Those are the businesses that are in verticals that are no longer in vogue. Those are really tough situations because it sometimes has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of effort that everyone's putting into the business, but it's really not working out. And tight monetary environment, it's time to call it. And Um, usually these businesses have less than 12 months of capital. Yeah. I've talked to some businesses that are basically telling me, hey, if we can't make a decision here within the next week or two, we're going to have to call it quits. And for those businesses, I think if you're the entrepreneur at that point, your most valuable asset is your time and your effort. And could you rub two nickels together and get like another month of runway? You definitely could. Mm -hmm. And it probably violates every strand of DNA in their being. But in those situations, I think that the right call, especially in this environment, is to find a home. Find a partner that you respect that could use your employees or your tool and just kind of make the right decision. Make the right decision there. The middle category is the tough one. The companies that are surviving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It depends because entrepreneurs and VCs, we're optimistic folks. A friend of mine, Joe Dwyer, used to define an entrepreneur as a person who looks at a wall and says, you're telling me to walk through that? Sure. And it just goes face first straight through the thing. You take a business that's struggling, but figures it out. 
every mm-hmm. quarter. They find a way to get through. Super tenacious. But it's not showing the growth characteristics that you'd expect from a business. Those are the ones where you really have to think hard about, hey, in this environment right now, where I know I've got another four quarters of this toughness to get through using the best models. In those situations, what is the correct answer? I think that when you have a VC on your board who's perfectly aligned with you from an outcome point of view, Mm -hmm. remember, they don't make money if you don't make money and they lose their investment if the business doesn't do well, to have some really tough, pragmatic conversations with each other and to say, what do we really think is the best possible outcome here? Because when you're thinking about outcomes, your enemy is time. If you exit the business at a slightly higher price 18 months from now, it's actually not a win because you've lost 18 18 months months of time. time. That's super painful. It's super tough. But those are the tough conversations that a lot of founders are having with their boards as they try to navigate this environment. Do you think that the ones who are in this third category surviving, do you think they always feel like they're aligned? with the VC, it's hard to to let ego and emotions play in where you think they're out to get you. It's the best entrepreneurs are innately looking for the best possible outcome. That's just who they are. Right. Their gut reaction is always going to be, I'm going to tough it out. The Mm -hmm. market is coming to me. It's just another week or month away. And so it does create tough conversations. And I think that in those scenarios, We just have to be, we have to show each other a lot of grace and really ascribe positive intent to why everyone is having the conversations that they're having. Because look, at the end of the day, we sink or swim together. We just have to get to the right outcome. Sometimes these getting to that next step and that tough conversation leads to a down round or recap. Walk founders through that. Why sometimes is that okay? What's it called? Uh, I I was talking to a colleague of mine and he said, hey, flat is the new up. (laughs) and a recap is the new flat. Right, right, right. And your reward is you get to stay in business. You get get to stick around for for maybe those four quarters you need. There you go. And and that's the thing. It's in a lot of scenarios, repricing the business is necessary because in a world in which money is more expensive, it just becomes really important to make sure that the business can survive to the better days ahead. And the next investor, if if you're going to need more money, right? That next investor with their repricing, you they don't want to necessarily do the down round. That's right. They want to see the upside and the opportunity. Yeah. If you have a business that you know needs more money from an external investor, your job is to make that business as attractive as possible for that next investor. And you want to remove as many frictions as possible structurally cleaning up your cap table. That means structurally cutting expense out of the system. In some cases, it means cutting out products that just don't make a ton of sense in the current environment and just be able to provide the market with the most streamlined, clean business as possible that is as easy to invest in as possible. And then you just let the market try to do what it can do. When you think about the metrics that are most important, Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about cohort analysis. Oh, yeah. And you've been doing some a lot of work in that, <laughs> in that realm. And help folks understand, depending on which stage you're at, sometimes your the cohort analysis itself hasn't played out yet. You need a longer period of time 
to really see what those cohorts will do. Tell us about the time you've been spending in this space. As you know, I am card-carrying SaaS investor for these B2B SaaS companies. Yep. And I would say that the sophistication of investors has dramatically increased over the last several years. We've gotten really good at looking at SaaS businesses and looking at the determinants of what works versus what doesn't. And so for many years now, VCs have looked at net retention numbers and gross retention numbers. And those are great metrics and we look at those all the time. But one of the metrics that we do at Mercury that we look at for our current portfolio companies is we look at cohort-based retention which is a lot of work to produce, although mm -hmm. a lot of the new reporting packages really help make that a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But we're saying, hey, from this vintage of time, call it Q1 of 2021, when you started with that cohort of customers, by quarter, every quarter, how does the retention profile for that cohort look? And the idea here is let's identify problems before they become endemic. Because if you don't do that, then you don't start to see those churns until you've got four or five cohorts worth of customers that are now damaged. And it will take you at least that much time, year and a half or so, to recover. And so in order to prevent those problems before they become endemic, you have to keep a sharp eye on those cohorts and try to see their churn ahead of time. So we look at those numbers really hard and we know that our growth brethren are looking at those numbers before they invest in those businesses. So it's best to get this taken care of now. And in a world in which we're all looking for sales efficiency, man, fixing net retention early is the best way to fix those types of issues. No, it's really good, Aziz. So when you like the business, metrics are pretty good. Mm -hmm. Business isn't quite thriving like this 180% growth deal you've got, but you like it, but there's some things wrong with it, a little hair on it. How do you think about valuation of a thriving business compared to a business that's maybe a little bit better than surviving? Yeah. And help us understand why that valuation needs to reflect what's going on in the business right now, not what the business is going to do in the future. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the current environment where there's just a lot less cash in the system right now, investors have the privilege of being very picky. Mm -hmm. And they want to invest in businesses that are as clean and friction-free as humanly possible. And so I just want to be very explicit. Step one is, if at all possible, if it is within your gift, if we can do it, let's make your business thriving. Absolutely, the correct answer is fix the business. But if we have a business that is missing a metric here or a metric there, then the reality is it's no longer that our startups love talking about their ideal customer profile. VCs have ICPs too. Yep. <laughs> and so we think about startups the same way. And so every time we talk about, oh, that's missing, oh, that's missing, in a lot of cases, VCs just walk away. But if you do have a VC that's engaging with you, then yeah, there's definitely a valuation hit that gets attached to each of those misses as you veer away from that ideal customer profile. And so it's, I think it's really important for founders to be super pragmatic about what the market can and can't give them right now. What's the best way for founders to get a sense of where pricing is? 
and how they should think about that to make sure they have realistic expectations. I do want to take a pause for a moment here on pricing to say when I'm talking to my students and my MBA class, I always try to reinforce the idea that valuation is just a number on a spreadsheet. When a business is valued at $100 million, no one has $100 million in their pocket that exists on a spreadsheet, and that's the only place it exists. The reality is when a VC invests in a business, they're giving you a certain amount of money for a certain amount of ownership, and that's it. There is a wild valuation swing depending upon if you're giving the VC 10% of your business or 20% of your business. That's a doubling of valuation. Seems like a lot of money. But at the end of the day, it is dilution. Dilution's important, but you need to look at it through the lens of was that dilution worth it? Did we increase value more than the dilution I took? Did we make a bigger pie? Yeah, did we make a bigger pie? Because suddenly 8% dilution versus 9% dilution doesn't seem like a lot if you can improve the value of the business by $50 million. Suddenly, you really want to take that extra dilution Mm -hmm. if you really think you can get more value out of a potential partner. I just want to make sure that when we do talk about pricing, we're cognizant of the fact that pricing is a made-up thing. Absolutely. It's it's uh, just a number on a spreadsheet. But look, VCs, we're not as driven as we are to want to help entrepreneurs as much as we can. VCs are investing on behalf of our limited partners. We're investing on behalf of pension funds and endowments. I half joke when I say this, but we literally are working for widows and orphans here. And so our job is to invest at a price where we think we can make money for the widows and orphans that we're investing on behalf of. And so because of that, we have to look at what the public markets are telling us in terms of where liquidity events are. And so when the public markets correct, we have to change our valuation models so that we can take risk into account and still produce a return. And so this all factors into that equation in terms of the amount of dilution that we're asking for in exchange for our check. So I was looking at PitchBook uh, report that uh-huh. indicated, speaking of how we make money, indicated <laughs> yeah. VCs made a lot less money in 2022, almost 20% less. And that kind of environment, a lot of times you've, there's not a much negotiation we can do. Right. And entrepreneurs and founders are encouraged yeah. to understand that yeah. we've got a business to run as well, but we want to be empathetic and sensitive to uh, their needs are. What would you tell them? Look, we're in a tough environment right now. If you think back to part one of our conversation, I was talking about how there are three challenges in the current funding environment, Mm -hmm. which is not a lot of liquidity events, high interest rates making money expensive, and LPs investing less in VC funds, which all translate into less money available for the same number of startups. So already the math is super tough. And unfortunately, until we start seeing more liquidity events, That cycle doesn't get broken. And then compound on top of that, the liquidity events that we are seeing are tied to lower multiples than the liquidity events we saw two years ago. And so I will never tell an entrepreneur to sympathize with a VC just because we are probably the least sympathetic people on earth, but we are driven by a brutal set of math. And so look, if we do our job right, and the entrepreneurs are able to achieve their targets, everyone still walks away really happy. And so 
I'm not telling anyone to not make a sound business decision here. But when we think about the valuation environment, we should just understand that it's just very different than the one that we had in 2020. No, absolutely. So taking that, entrepreneurs, a lot of times they understand the idea of a quick no. Yeah. But sometimes they should just focus on building relationships. Yeah. In this kind of environment, what's the best way to help entrepreneurs understand how to build a relationship with you, how to build a relationship with Mercury? So earlier I was talking about how the amount of deals that VCs have invested in has decreased for six quarters in a row. What this means is that at individual VC funds, deal velocity has greatly decreased. I remember talking to my partners in 2020 and throwing down what I saw as the gauntlet, which is we have to be able to move fast enough where we go from first phone call from an entrepreneur to term sheet in under four weeks. And that was because in that market environment, that's what the deal velocity was. That's what at our stage of investment, people were making decisions at. That was very different than the world I grew up in, in 2008, 2009, where VC sometimes, I remember I had one deal that took me a year to get across the line. And so in a world in which we're talking about VCs and entrepreneurs now having the luxury of forming a relationship now Mm -hmm. before the investment, I think of each conversation with an entrepreneur as us starting that relationship. And so in that context, I think it's really great Mm -hmm. when entrepreneurs are now asking for advice instead of term sheets. These are entrepreneurs that are saying, hey, we're supposed to have this long seven-year relationship with each other. Let's start working on problems now. Let's not wait before we've papered this up and you join my board before we talk about what my sales strategy needs to look like. Let's start that today. And so I have a number of entrepreneurs that I actually talk to about their business pretty frequently where I'm not on their board, where I'm not an investor, but we're having those conversations. And that's where you start to build those types of relationships. So you mentioned earlier the hot thing, AI being a hot thing. It's so uh, hot right now. It is. It's at the top of the list and almost as hot as uh, NFTs were during the pandemic. When you think about founders building relationships and moving in the right direction, How does the latest, greatest trends, AI, data science, building those things into their platform, into their business, affect your interest level? So every VC has their own verticals that they like to invest in a lot. As I've mentioned before, I've spent my whole life working with enterprise software, with B2B software, with understanding like those types of ecosystems. And so that's what I continue to invest in. A number of enterprises are interested in understanding AI technology right now. And so that's definitely something that I look at. But I would say that certain VCs are very momentum driven. And those VCs, man, they are investing in AI wherever they can find it because they see great potential for a paradigm shifting type move. I think it's interesting. I think that it'll definitely improve gross margins for a lot of businesses. Just the ability to automate what was previously human-driven services, I think, is incredible. And so I'm very, very excited by that. I think that I, Aziz, am probably less prone to investing in technology for technology's sake, just because I'm probably just too pragmatic from my days as a software procurement person in terms of the stuff that I'm personally interested in. But you definitely have to have a strategy around it. You definitely have to have a narrative around it. 
because if you don't, your competitors will, and they'll steal all the mindshare from you. So this is another situation where that's the game in front of you. So it's the game you have to play. And so look, if you're a security company and you have a customer asking what your AI strategy is, you better have a freaking answer. And it becomes a checkbox type activity that you have to be able to address. So as we sort of go into the final stretch here, what are you interested in these days? What's piquing your interest and what are the kinds of things you'd like to see come across your desk? As we mentioned in the first part of this conversation, I think there's, there's a real market opportunity there. I think there are a lot of great businesses that got themselves to call them 5 million plus of ARR. But when the goalposts moved with for growth equity funds, those businesses were stuck. I think those businesses continue to be super interesting because they have high gross margins and can mm -hmm. be run super efficiently. So let's keep on investing in those. And when I say high growth, I mean businesses that are growing at triple digit clips. I'm talking about businesses that have gross margins north of 80%. I'm talking about businesses that from a cash flow point of view are super efficient. LTV CAC ratios that are north of five to one. Hopefully in some cases, seven to one is some of the ones that I've looked at. Those are all extremely interesting to me. When they're B2B, that means that you end up spending a lot less unattributed dollars on marketing, which mm -hmm. I love. That's always good. I love attribution <laughs> and I love, I love go-to-market motions that have been proven. And man, you kind of put that constellation of things together and those are businesses that, man, I just love seeing grow. But at the same time, they're about to hit scalability challenges. They probably don't have the world's most efficient customer success function built into them. They probably could use an upgrading of some of their reporting suites so that they can spot like cohort-based churn mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. that. They're probably running into onboarding challenges with their customers. And so those are easily understandable, easily rectified challenges mm -hmm. that I love working with entrepreneurs utilizing some of the mercury method stuff that frankly you helped pioneer at our fund to really move across the uh, field with. So as these companies go to exit, you've been at mercury 15 years, yeah. you've seen some exits. What are some common themes on founders yeah. that haven't gotten there yet? They're on their journey. What should they know about the founders who have successfully exited? What, yeah. what are the common themes? Man, if there's a theme when it comes to exits, especially in economies like this, it's that they take a lot longer than you think. And not only that, sometimes everyone knows the correct answer at the beginning of the M&A conversation, and it still takes a year to get there. Yes, I've now had that happen at least three times now for me, okay. where I've had everyone knew on day one that this company was going to get bought by this company. We all knew that. We also all knew that the price was going to be at X. But in these types of environments, corporate development folks want to earn their money. And so they will push the conversation as long as necessary until they're left with no choice but to do the right thing. I used to be one of those guys. So I, that, would, that would resonate with me. <laughs> Every quarter becomes another test of the company. Every quarter you're still trying to hit those growth numbers that you showed them at mm -hmm. the beginning of the conversation that you told them was just super easy for you to hit. And you have to reprove it to them every quarter along the way. What's it called? You also need to have competition in yes. that someone is not going to spend $500 million to buy your business if they don't need to. And so they've got to believe that someone else is willing to write you a check for $495 million. And so you have to prove that to them. You have to go down and you have to check all the boxes. And in these types of environments, that takes a while. 
If there's a theme, it's that these things take a lot longer than you think. Sometimes they happen super fast. I remember we had one company that got acquired where we had the conversation with the potential acquirer. And then by the time we got back to our offices, they'd already FedExed an LOI to us. You have those extremes, but in this environment, things tend to drag out pretty long. And so you have to set yourself up to have that extended conversation. Awesome, Aziz, this has been really good. Yeah. Give you the final word. How is venture changing over the next sort of five to 10 years? Yeah. And why should entrepreneurs care? So number one, I'll say that entrepreneurs are the most resilient people that I've ever met in my life. They're the folks that you put in front of a wall and they just find a way to walk right through it. Yep. And so I would say that the entrepreneurs aren't changing, but our industry, which has had a very crazy last five years, will continue to have a pretty crazy next five years. We took deal volumes and we took them to stratospheric levels in 2020. And now gravity's impacting us and we're coming back to the ground. And that's fine. Our industry will still function. We'll still find a way to fund entrepreneurs. I remember in 2008, 2009, we thought the world was ending. We were still funding entrepreneurs every freaking year. And businesses were still exiting every year. And so entrepreneurs, please be patient with us. We tend to be pretty dense. We're not the smartest guys. We created our own mess. But we'll find a way to work with you. And we really want the same things. Awesome. Thank you, Aziz. Yeah. I appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Go Slow to Grow Fast. Grow Fast.